Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the Word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, we have been going through Romans, and this morning we are done, all right? We are, don't woohoo, okay, this is, this was a good book, all right? It was a good book. No, um, it is nice um, to kind of come to an end, and we're going to be moving on to maybe a smaller book um, to end out the summer with. Uh, maybe I'll just do Titus, um, something like that. Uh, next week, uh, I'm not preaching. Daniel's preaching. I'm going to be have four wisdom teeth taken out on Friday, so I, I um, yeah, they're putting me under and uh, giving me all kinds of good stuff, and so I won't be here. Uh, I may be here. I just won't be here. Um, but no, so um, Daniel's preaching this week, but this week we are finishing with Romans, um, and, and what's been cool is we've, at the end of the Romans, we've gone through all this doctrine and all this theology, and we get to the end of this letter, and uh, we kind of had this little mini-series in the series. It's this mini-sermon thing where it's God's work, God's way, and that how we saw Paul's life and what made it so effective, what made it so efficient, what made it so powerful, and ultimately what made it God-honoring. And we started looking at these different qualities and characteristics, these principles that Paul had in his life. And, and you know, the thing about Paul is that Paul didn't just say, you know, I know I'm called by the gospel, I'm called by grace, and now I'm just going to go out and try to do this the best I can. I'm going to go out and live for God the best I can and just kind of decipher the will of God. No, Paul understood that if I'm going to do God's work, I've got to do God's work his way. And so if I'm going to preach the gospel, I'm not going to go out to preach a message that is just so everybody receives it and twisted and mold it so that it's received and liked and popular and it becomes accepted by many. Paul was like, I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ christ because that is the message that saves many people will reject it many people will hate it but those who are saved by it are saved by it and it's not a message that they receive they have no power behind it and so paul knew that it was by grace alone that he went out he knew by it was by god's power alone that he would be effective he knew that it was in god's will that would be effective god's work god's way and he knew last week we talked about how he understood that god's work god's way is never alone that paul can't do this alone and we saw phoebe and priscilla and aquila and and herodian and we saw rufus and we saw rufus's mama uh you know all of these people in paul's life that made his ministry so powerful and effective. And so that, that was our challenge last week, that if we are going to be effective in our lives and ministry and acceptable offer, uh, uh, offerings acceptable before God, that we need to be in each other's lives. So we need to get each other's numbers. We need to be engaging in our lives because there's this new movement um, in the new modern evangelical church is that I can be a Christian and be a lone ranger. Like, I can do this alone. I don't need nobody. 
I could be in love with Jesus. I could be in love with his word. And I don't need the church. I love Jesus. I don't like the church. And this is that new evangelical movement. But guys, if you are a Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christian, you have to get rid of so many verses in the Bible in order to do this alone. Like you actually got to get rid of verses for you to be a Bible-believing Christian, a, a Jesus-following Christian. In order, you got to get rid of 59 one another's that are scattered throughout the New Testament. Like how do you love one another by yourself? I mean, some of y'all try to do it. Oh, <laughs> a lot of love, self-love coming your way. How do you bear with one another by yourself? I mean, you guys, is that annoying that you got to bear with yourself? I mean, it's like, how do we teach each other, admonish one another? See, if we're going to do this together, if we're going to do this and follow Christ's example, we've got to do it together. That's how God intended it to. So getting in each other's lives, walking with each other, uh, speaking truth into one another, it's, it's so vital to our ministry. And this morning, we're going to be finishing up with God's work, God's way, understands God's enemy. All right, so God's work, God's way, understand, is aware of, and is fighting God's enemy. Because right now, the truth is we are at war. Okay, we're at war. There is a real war going on. And unless we understand who we're fighting against, guys, we will not be effective. And ultimately, we will lose in the sense of be deceived and be ineffective and be powerless if we don't understand what is happening. What we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is that there are three aspects, and this is the part that we miss. There are three aspects of the enemy that we face. There is the, there is who? Who's our first enemy? Satan, Satan right? You know, Satan. Um, then there is the world. Then there is the flesh. And this is where we miss it. This is the enemy that we battle. This is where we miss it, though. We tend to neglect and miss the interlinking and the interplay between Satan, the world, and the flesh. And what we try to do, or what we often do, is that we often uh, isolate one thing. It's like, well, our enemy is Satan. Okay, and so you, you, you're just chasing after Satan. You're looking for Satan. Well, Satan did it. You know, Satan made me do that. Or Satan took my parking spot at Walmart. Or Satan made it rain. Satan's really working on us today. He's tempting us today. And it's all Satan, Satan, Satan. And everybody's focusing on Satan. But then we neglect the world and the flesh. And some of us are like, well, that's, it's the world is the enemy, right? You know, it's that kind of monk Amish mentality. Like, if I could just get away from the world and run away from the world, you know, I could come into the museum of the saints in the church and just then go home and then come back to the church and then go home, come back to the church, surround myself with only Christian friends and, you know, do all of our Christian things and not be in the world. If I could isolate myself, don't drive the worldly things. I'm going to drive a buggy, even though the buggy was, was worldly. I mean, didn't it? God didn't create the buggy. But, you know, I'm only going to do this. I'm going to be a monk and just sit in the room or be like the Aseans in the time of Jesus and just go up on the mountain and eat locusts and, and bugs and, and, and stale bread. And that's how I'm going to fight this battle because the world is the issue. But then we neglect Satan, the prince of the power of this air, and we neglect our flesh. And then there's the flesh. Some of us are just, man, if I could just set up habits and roadblocks and barriers and guardrails and get rid of this sin and get rid of this sin, it's all the flesh. 
We miss that there's an interplay between all three of these, and this is how Satan is working, and this is our battle, and it's all encompassing, and we're surrounded at any turn by the enemy. And we're missing it. If it's just the flesh, then I can set up boundaries. If it's just the world, then we can escape from the world and meet in our sanctity of our, our, our museum here we got. If it's, just the, if it's just Satan, then man, we could be hypersensitive and hyper-aware of Satan's schemes. But if it's all three, then all of a sudden we realize, man, this is bigger than we thought. This is more a danger than we thought. This is more encompassing than we thought. And that is what actually we see in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read that real quick before we jump into Romans 16. Because I want you to see... This is who we once were. This is the battle that we were once surrendered to. This is what we once walked in. And then now as we are on this side of the cross, this side of grace in Christ, this battle is not dead. It is still encompassing us. But we have a job to do. We have something that we, are, we need to be aware of it and actually do something in light of this, as Paul's going to say in Romans, 1, uh, in Romans 16. But this is who you used to be, this is where you once lived, and this is the battle that we fight today. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses, and that's who you used to be, dead. Not, not weak, not dying, not helpless, you were dead. Dead in your trespasses of sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. There's the play of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, there's the force of Satan. And the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them all too, you all formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature's. Nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. So that was us. That's the battle. We have the prince of the power of the air. We have the world that is under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. And then we have the flesh that is walking in the lust of its desires. And so now we get to Romans 16. And Paul is going to address these three topics. All right, we're going to address a topic in light of that truth, that that's the battle that we fight. And so Romans 16, verse um, 17, this is what he says. Now I urge you, brethren... Note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrines which we learned. Avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. So Paul begins this section. He said, brothers, I urge you. Now, this is a strong phrase in the Greek. It's a very strong. It's just, I plead with you. I beg you, do not. And what is he saying? He says, I beg you to keep your eyes open. He says, I beg you to be aware, to be open, to see, to what, be open to what, to see what, to be aware of what. He says, people will come in for division and offenses contrary to the doctrines which you have learned. So Paul's saying, man, there is going to be people who come in and teach different doctrines, teach false theologies. There are going to be false teachers and false prophets that come into the church and are deceiving. Jesus says that there's going to be wolves that come in like sheep clothing into the church, into the community, the fellowship of believers, and they're going to teach doctrines that are contrary, that are going to take you down, that are going to distract you, that they're going to steal, kill, and destroy. John says it this way in 1 John, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
Because many false prophets have gone into the world, but by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Listen to that. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. John says that there are people who are going to come in. He says, you want to test the spirits. The one who is speaking on behalf of God is going to speak the truth about Jesus. They're going to speak the word of God. The ones that come in and speak all these flattery, flattery speeches. And we're going to find out, Paul's about to show us in 2 Corinthians, that this is not about this the pastor standing up here and saying, hey guys, let's stand up and say, hail Satan. Right? Let's, let's praise Satan. Let's bite heads off the bats. You know, let's get really deep into it. Let's go have orgies, okay? Let's go get wasted together. That's not what we're going to see on the pulpit. It's people are going to come in, and they're going to twist and manipulate the word of God that does not agree with the person who, of Jesus Christ. And, G, and, Paul, and John says that this person is speaking on the power of the Antichrist. Paul is about to show us that this person is speaking on behalf of Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as the apostle of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, who will end up according to their own deeds. So Paul says that these people are coming in not looking like Ozzy Osbourne, People are coming in as angels of light. They're coming in with their PhDs, with their book sales, with their following, with their skinny jeans, with their Instagram, and they're preaching a doctrine that is contrary. And Paul says, these are not apostles of God. These are servants of Satan. And hear this. I don't know what background y'all grew up in. I don't know where y'all come from. I, I, I mean, I know some of y'all, I know your backgrounds, but some of you, I don't know what, what you believe as far as what you grew up in. And around this idea of demons and Satan and angels, this spiritual world, some of us get a little uncomfortable with this because, like, I don't know why, I, you know, and, there, I, and, the, and the statistics are that most, that almost, I think I was like, it's half, I think the last time I read it, it was like half of Christians do not even believe demons exist. Or half of people that come into church do not believe demons are real. Half the people in the church do not believe demons are real. And look, I don't care what you believe, but let me tell you the truth. They re they're real. You could, I don't care if you believe it or not. Look, you, you could not believe my wife is smoking hot, but she is. It's the truth. Okay? Like, it, it, there's truth and there's error, and I don't care. The, the, the demonic, the, the spiritual world is true. And Satan right now with his demons, they're, they're going amongst this world, and they're trying to take as many people down, to blind as many people, and even possess many people to be their mouthpieces, to be, the, to, to, to be a, a, agents of destruction. They are, they, and see, in America, we, that we get rid of, all, rid of all the spiritual and supernatural, and so we just to see the physical and we miss that satan is true today possessing people in america there is possession happening there's demonic oppression happening there's a demonic attacks happening it's happening happening today but listen to me if you are a believer in christ you have power over satan he has no authority over you he has no power over you satan cannot possess you a demon cannot possess you if you have the holy spirit you would have to say that the a dem demonic a spirit of, of satan would overpower the spirit of god it doesn't happen. 
But let me say this. He may not have authority over you. He may not have power over you. But here's Satan's tactics. His job with the church, with God's true people, with the elect, with those that the Holy Spirit has sealed for the day of redemption, is to deceive them and cause them to remain stagnant through deception, through blindness. Look, Satan is not interested in, in, in his goal with you is not to make it rain on your picnic. Satan's after us. He doesn't care if you get a good parking spot at Walmart. You know, Satan doesn't, he doesn't even care if you're in here worshiping. He's right, he's right in the room and many churches he's there. He doesn't care how hard you sing. He doesn't care how much you praise. He doesn't care if you're driving down the road listening to worship music or with the hand in the air. He doesn't care. What he cares about is the doctrines and the, the gospel that you believe. Because if he could get your mind to believe a false doctrine and a false gospel, then he's got you. He's got you deceived. He doesn't care if you sing as loud as you want. If you're standing on the false sandy ground, it doesn't matter. And so Satan is coming after the church through deception. And he's using these servants of Satan to stand on the platform to preach a message with the Bible. How does Satan operate through Scripture? He goes to Eve and says, did God really say? Did God really say that you can't eat of any tree? He takes the word of God and he molds it and he twists it for his own purposes. He goes to Jesus in the garden and in the desert and he says, look, you guys, he's Jesus, if you jump off this mountain, if you jump off this, this cliff, then the, the angels, the legions of angels will come and they will stop you. The Bible says that they will not let a foot touch the rock. Jump, Jesus. You see, it is possible, and it's very possible, because this is where we get deceived, where you have pastors standing up, and they take the Word of God, and they're not preaching the Bible. They preach out of the Bible, but they're not preaching the Bible. They preach Scripture, but they're not preaching scriptural. Satan uses, he knows the Bible more than any of us in this room. He knows the Word of God, and he knows how to take the Word of God and change it and manipulate it and get you to be deceived and get you to walk away from truth. And he uses false teachers to stand up and say, the Bible says this, and then go off on another hour of what they believe that verse means in their own interpretations. There are false teachers amongst us that stand on the pulpit and preach doctrines. And listen to me, I know some of y'all are getting uncomfortable because, hey, David, we're not supposed to tell people that they're false teachers. That's not kind. That's not nice. It's not nice to tell people that they're, they're just a little off a little bit. Just because they don't agree with you, they don't believe what you believe and what the church has believed for uh, centuries and since the beginning, they're just off a little bit. They're still good in certain areas. As I'm not talking about do you believe in pre- or post-trib. I'm talking, I'm talking about ideas and concepts and theological truths such as deny yourself. That's a big one. A die to yourself. Die to yourself. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about, it's about you dying to yourself. And now we've got these fools standing on the pulpit and saying, no, Jesus wants you to be this. And Jesus wants you to be wealthy. And Jesus wants you to be healthy. And I'm not even talking about the blatant prosperity gospel preachers. I'm talking about this new fundamental evangelical movement that stands up and says it is about you. 
that Jesus wants to engage your life and Jesus wants you to have a happy marriage and Jesus wants you to have a healthy life and Jesus wants you to break this and Jesus wants you to do this. And guess what? We have shifted the message about it's being Jesus in us to us needing Jesus to do something. Guess what? The gospel is we die to ourselves and somewhere along the, the shift in evangelical movement, it has become Jesus coming to us, Jesus helping us, Jesus engaging us, Jesus working with us when it was never us anymore. It was always us dying to ourselves and Jesus in us. Jesus through us. It was Jesus alive, not us. We have songs that sing about us. The the, the evangelical worship canon is all about me. How Jesus engages me. When the Bible doesn't have David in this. It has a David, but it's not me. It doesn't have me in this. It has Jesus on every single page. And we've twisted it. I'm talking pastors getting up and able to stand up here and deny truth and what is sin and what is not. And here's the problem. When you deny what is sin and what is not, and you do gymnastics with the scriptures to try to justify your belief systems, usually the narrative of the world, you are denying people's need for repentance. And when you deny people's need for repentance, you leave them in their destruction. Jesus didn't go to the woman in the well and say, I know you're sleeping around. You got all these, these men. Oh, we'll get to that later. You know, that's okay. It's not a big deal. We'll, let's just work on you. That's 10 steps to fixing you. I could help you with that. And Jesus says, look, you want me? I could offer you water, living water. You'll never thirst again. Living life, you'll never go hungry again. You will be saved. But here, let's get rid of the poison in your life. Let's fix it. And let's start anew and don't go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And pastors will get up and reject this. Guys, you can say, David, it's not nice to judge. It's not nice to do this. You need to be kind. The Bible says as a pastor, I am not called to, I'm not called to judge nobody, but I will judge a message. And when I see a message that's off the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to be aware because Satan is working. And a lot of times I'm, I didn't want to preach this much on this topic, Satan. We still got to get the world in the flesh. But a lot of times we look at a pastor because he has a big following. Once again, God's work, God's work, God's way is God's definition of success. Our definition of success is big people, a lot of Instagram followers, a lot of effective change as far as people coming into a room and singing with passion and tears. That's how we define success. They've got to be doing something right. And that's how we define it. Guys, just because there's a large... My Bible says that the road to heaven is narrow and long. Why? Narrow and long. And that very few will find it. And the road to destruction is wide. That's right, right? Narrow and long. Is it narrow and... Straight and narrow. And hard. hard. (laughs) It's narrow, okay? It's narrow. That's the point. The road to destruction is wide. And many people are going to find it. And so my, my and this, is a, this is a model to live by, okay? Yeah, I live by this. It drives Savannah crazy, but I'm always right. She said it the other day. She said it the other day. <laughs> the model to live by. If everybody is doing it, question it. 
If everybody is going a direction, question it. Examine it through the word of God. If everybody, if, if it seems like thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are calling themselves a Christian, and this is the evangelical movement, and this is what we call ourselves a Christian under, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying step back and look through the lens of the word of God. Because you're going to find that when everybody seems to be doing something, it is not of God. It's not of God. And Satan works through deception. He is trying to take you down to deceive you. But this is where we get into, it's not just about Satan. It's not us sitting down like, where's he going? Where's his arrows? This is the deception. Now we get to the world and the flesh. He goes on. He says, by their smooth and flattery speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Some translations, if you have your Bibles, some translations say the simple. And that's actually a better translation in the Greek, the simple. And we know what Paul's talking about because he contrasts this, uh, this idea of being deceived, the simple being deceived. Later on, he says, do not be wise in the evil, but be simple in evil and wise in goodness. So Paul's contrasting. He's saying the simple in goodness will be deceived, but the wise in goodness won't. What is goodness? We learn in 2 Timothy, it says that the word of God is, from the, is, is divine, is given us by God, by the Spirit, for, uh, for all believers to be equipped for goodness, good works. So what we understand is that those who are wise in the word of God, those who are in the truth of God, the simple will be deceived. Those who are, do not know the word of truth will be deceived. See, many of us, many of us we, we, we have this mentality like, well, I'll recognize it when I see it. Like, I'll recognize Satan's lies when I can be able to discern what is good and what is evil, what is bad. And what, because here's the thing. This is how we view ourselves. I'm a pretty good person. Like, I was a pretty good person in my life, and so I'm going to be able to discern. I'm just natural. They have this supernatural ability of discernment that I'm able to tell what is truth and what is error. I'm going to be able to walk through this world with good looks and intuition and be able to decide what is of God and what is wrong. And hear me, if that is you, you are a fool. And not just a fool, you're a simple fool. Because if you believe that you're going to just be able to coast through this world after conversion and be able to decipher what is God and what is Satan, what is truth and what is lie, what is right and what is wrong, man, you're missing it. You're missing it because we are destructive in nature. We were dead in nature. We don't understand just how rebellious, rebellious our flesh can be. And so what do we need to do when, in our flesh? What do we need to do? What does Paul say we need to do in light of Satan coming after to deceive us that in the, without the word of God, we are going to be taken down because our flesh is not good. We are wicked. Paul says this, for the report of obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple in what is evil. Paul's already talked about this truth in Romans chapter 12 when he said, do not be conformed. Uh, to this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know the will of God, that which is good and that which is acceptable and perfect. So this idea of the world, do not be conformed by the world. Everywhere in Scripture, when we see the world, the world is opposed to God in Scripture. When it talks about the world, it's not talking about the actual earth. It's talking about the system of the world. The, the philosophies, the, the movement, the, 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 the worldview, it's all opposed to God. It's anti-God. It's anti-God's will. It hates 
God. And so Paul's saying, do not be conformed to the world. There's going to be a world here and a world to come. Jesus says, let your kingdom come in this world as it is in heaven because this world is opposed to God. And the problem here is we need to be aware of what the world is doing and what's happening in this world, that it is opposed to God because this is all you know. Listen to me. Since you were born, this is the air that you breathe. You breathe this, this world. You breathe the opposing of God. You breathe the anti-will of God. You breathe everything this world has to offer you. You know only this world. Aristotle asked the question, does a fish know that it's wet? Does a fish know that it's wet? And the answer is no, not until you take it out of the water. You see, with, with believers, we, since the moment you were born out of the womb, since the moment you were born, you were taken out of the womb, you were brought into this car, and from that time where mommy took you home, you have breathed in a philosophy that there is no God. You breathe in a system, and not just uh, from your parents if, or non-your parents. I'm talking about the world system has been built around there is no God, anti-God, rebellious against God. You're here by time and chance. There's no God. That there's this system of everything is relative. There is no truth. There's no absolutes. That it's all moral. It's just what's based on you. You breathe the air that you cannot know truth except for studying the matter out there and that we are forced to say that only truth that we can know is our ever-changing science books and not just general revelation but the bible says we have general and special meaning that we observe the world just as scientists do through the lens of god but the world denies the special revelation but our air that we breathe most of us went through 14 years of indoctrination through propaganda known as the public school system by mandate they cannot teach anything of god most of us, and then on top of that, you have Hollywood and you have pagan influences engaging into the church system. Last night I was talking to my sister. And we were talking about love and the will of God. And we were talking about how do you find the will of God? Most of us, we say, well, I find the will of God by just praying about it. And what feels right, I kind of go with. Did you know that's a pagan belief system? That's pagan. That's not God. That is pray about it and what feels right. That's where I move. That's the will of God. You know, you don't find that in scripture. That's a pagan idea. That's reading tarot cards in the stars. When God opens this door, God did this, God's moving. He, I'm seeing the signs. Did you know that the way that we choose love, it's pagan? God just gave me this person. No, that's a Cupid that's a Cupid, theo Cupid theology. God struck you with an arrow. That's not how God operates. It's pagan. Yeah, we breathe this in. And this is all we know. And then not to mention you have the prince of the power of this air working against you, trying to keep you content, trying to keep you engaged. Satan doesn't have to work hard. And this is the danger of the world and Satan. This is why they're so powerful. It's because Satan gives you what you want. He doesn't have to work hard to keep you. He doesn't have to work hard to break you down. He gives you over to you what you want. He gives you your desires of your flesh. 
He gives you the, the lust of your flesh. He says, this is where you are. So Satan doesn't have to deceive you. He just has to keep you blinded to giving you what you desire. Because this was us. We were wicked. We desired it. We loved Satan. He knew our names and we knew his voice and we loved him and we were in relationship with him and we were in desiring everything he gave to us. We, we ate out of the hand of the prince of the power of this age and we loved it. We desired it. We wanted it. We wanted more of it. We don't want to serve others. We want to serve me. Our relationships were fed off of this. I love my wife because she gives me what I want, not because I love her, but because I love me. It was us. You weren't good by nature. You're not good by nature. You're not a good person. And yet we miss this. We are, not, we are deceived by this. This is why you find no urgency to preach to the nice old lady down the street. This is why we have no urgency. We have an urgency to preach to the, the homeless, the drug addicted, the prisoners, the real criminals. Because they're the wicked people. Me, I'm not. My sweet old lady, my neighbor, she's not. We're not bad. We're not wicked. We're, we're okay. We're good. They don't need the salvation. This is why so many people, so many Christians say, I don't have a good testimony. My testimony is not strong enough. It's not good enough. Because I was a good person and Jesus came and helped me be better. Jesus weeded out a few little things in my life. You know, Jesus took my wheel. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. You were broken. You craved the world. You craved the desires of the flesh. You craved all of this. You ate out of the hand of Satan and you loved him. And you were molded by the air that you breathed was a world system that hated and despised God. You were, went through public school system, like I said, but government mandate does not love God. In just propaganda over propaganda, manipulating and molding you. Your conscience was, was steered and was, was, was destroyed by the propaganda being spit on you. So you're not triggered by anything anymore and you're telling me that coming out of that you're going to be able to go through this world and decipher the will of God and what's good see what happens at salvation is you were blind and now you see what you see what do you see you see that you were wretched you see a need for a savior you see Jesus but that's why the Bible over and over and over again says grow in knowledge Grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in wisdom. Grow in wisdom. Why? Because now you see this is still the air that we breathe. But you see it. You see your need for a Savior. But this is still all you know. This is still all your flesh wants. This is all that you breathe is the world what it has to offer, and so we need to renew our minds to operate. Guys, Paul says, be simple in what is evil, and what be wise in what is good, and what scares me is that so many Christians, we're so wise in what is evil, and not just because it's what we grew up in and it's the air that we breathe and it's what we knew as an unbeliever. It's because it's what we stay in and what we know as a believer. 
So many Christians, and, and this shocks me, that we believe that we can sit and watch hours and hours of trash TV. That we can watch R-rated movies over and over again. We can listen to just this just broken hearted radio that we can watch all this trash all this garbage read these books do these things over and over again and think that is not affecting you the think is not you see and this is what scares me is i've talked to people about it i'm not making a law i'm not gonna say guys we can't do this look you do what you want but i've heard people say it doesn't affect me david I could watch murder on TV. I could watch adultery on TV. I can watch these things, and it doesn't affect me. I'm okay. It's not messing with me. I'm not convicted by it. And they almost do it as a badge of honor. Guys, you should be scared if it's not convicting you. It shouldn't be a badge of honor like, oh, I could do it and it doesn't affect me. It should be worrisome that doesn't affect you, that you are able to be entertained by that which God says he hates. That we have no check and balances when we're watching garbage and it doesn't affect us. That should scare the hell out of us. Literally. And we watch it. What scares me is that Christians are wise and what is evil. We can tell you our favorite lines of every movie that we love, but we can't tell you two Bible verses. We're wise in what is evil. We can tell you our favorite stats of our favorite fo football player, but we can't tell you the Ten Commandments. We get to love you, Lord your God, with all our heart, mind, and strength, and soul, and that's it. And I know there's honor your father somewhere in there. Maybe a Sabbath every once in a while. I mean, we could tell you who won The Bachelor, the world's definition of love, but we could not even begin to define God's definition of love. Paul says we need to be wise and what is evil, or wise and what is good, and, and simple in what is evil. You're not going to become a believer, and this is how we live. This is how many believers in the church live. You're not going to be a believer. Open your eyes. Jesus opens your eyes. You're not going to make it. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about being powerful and effective and being effective and honoring for the, the kingdom of God. Look, here, I'm, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit signed and sealed you for the day of redemption, okay? I'm not talking salvation here. I'm talking about effective ministry, witnessing to God. You are not going to be effective. You're going to lay in your deception if you're trying to walk your way through the will of God without the truth. Well, as long as I just stay in the church, right? If I just stay in the umbrella of the church, then they're going to protect me from bouncing away in error. Second Timothy says that there's going to be a day where people won't listen to sound doctrine. That they're going to walk away and find teachers that will tickle their ears. They don't leave the church. There's going to be mass groups of people going around, pastors, teachers that are just tickling their ears. You don't know who's, and, and, and there's so many pastors out there you could watch in YouTube and Facebook, and, and if you don't know the word of God, you don't know what's right and wrong. You don't know who's false and who's not. You don't know if you've been sitting under false teaching for years. Some of y'all don't know if I'm preaching you false doctrine. It may sound good. And that scares me. Because I want you to know if I'm preaching false doctrine, because I want you to call me on it or leave because I'm preaching false doctrine. I love y'all too much for y'all to be sitting under false teaching. And so if I'm being a false teacher or preaching false doctrine, I love you too much to die. I say, get out of here and find somebody who's teaching truth. But we need to know that the enemy is not just Satan and his deception. 
It's the world system that we breathe that is giving us exactly what our flesh wants. And so we can sit under deception and teaching and flattering speech, and it's speaking our language. And it feels good. And it agrees with my spirit, agrees with my head, agrees with my heart, because it's what I wanted. It's what I like to hear. It's what I want to hear. So God's work, God's way, is knowing God's enemy. But the good news is, is that Jesus says here, Paul says here, he says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Paul says, here's the good news. This is not the end. Christ is returning. If not before, if he doesn't return, before we leave, before we die, we get to see Christ. This, this is not the end. There's going to be a time, Genesis chapter 3, the seed of Adam is going to crush the serpent's head. It's going to be done, wickedness, rebellion, all over with. And guys, so for now, we have a short period of time where we just need to tarry. We need to invest. We need to wake up. We need to seek. We need to read. Guys, I was telling the team this morning, it is not the time to sleep. It is not the time to sleep. It is time to wake up and arise as the church. It is time to get in the word and arise as the church. It is time to be bold on the streets and arise as the church. It's not time to go to work, come home, watch Netflix, go to bed, wake up the next morning, go to work, you know, fight with your, 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 your spouses and argue over stupid things like who can clean the dishes. It's not time to argue anymore. It's not time to fight anymore. It's not time to sit and numb your minds anymore. It's time to wake up. Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back soon. Mark my words. I don't want anybody in this room to be found not ready and being deceived. Because look at the church today. I feel like half of them are asleep. Look at the Bible. Does it make sense what we're doing in church? I feel like I'm about to go on a tangent, y'all. Should I, Danny? Yeah, okay. I know, it's, I know we've gone long, but here, here it is. When you read the Bible, and God has been opening my heart to this lately, so much so that we might start seeing things change in this space. Things don't make sense. Did you know that children, child care, and youth groups are a new thing? That's a new thing. It's not, Paul didn't send his kids to youth group. Peter didn't send his kids to youth group. There was no child care. Just a recently new thing. And you know what has happened since this has popped up? Do you know what's happening today? 80% of children leave high school and they walk away from the faith. And I'm not, what I'm saying is what's happening is something is messed up. Where the Bible says that we as parents are to raise up the next generation to invest in our children, to invest in our kids, to speak life into them, to train them, to equip them for every good work, to speak into their life, to discipline them, not little slaps on them, to discipline them, spare the rod, spoil the child. I'm talking about get rid of this new age crap and let's start raising our children. Do you know what the effect of this is? So now we're not raising our children. We throw them off to a youth leader and when they don't raise our children, we get mad and we get a better youth leader. 
leader and we get a better youth program we get better children and then they keep walking off and going out, out into the world never coming back in the church because the bible says it wasn't their job it's our job it doesn't make sense while we're throwing our kids into a room and not training them and raising them up in the ways of the lord is it distracting does it get on our nerves to have kids in here is it weird Guys, we're raising up the next generation. The hand on the cradle owns the world. The hand on the cradle changes the world. And the church has given over our children to children, child care, to government schools, to other people. And we expect to raise generations for the kingdom of God. Does it make sense for me, for us to be saying that this is about Jesus Christ, when Jesus says, "Deny yourselves; don't store up riches in heaven, and but store up riches, or don't store up riches on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, but store up riches in heaven." Does it make sense that we keep spending more and more money on a space and have more and more crap and more and more things, and to get bigger and bigger and bigger, where moth and moth and rust destroy it? Does it make sense that we have pastors who are rock stars? Does it make sense that the worship bands are rock stars? Does it make sense that we have this mentality that we're trying to keep up with? J-Lo in the church. It doesn't make sense. And yet this is the air we breathe. This is what we know. This is what church is. So we do it. So we go with it. Does it make sense? I keep going. Like I said last week, we're the family of Christ, the body of Christ, and we don't even know anybody's name. It's time to wake up, y'all. The, the, the evangelical movement of the church, I think God is calling his saints out of it to his true church. It doesn't make sense what we're doing. It doesn't make sense, and we need to be aware of the deception that Satan has been spitting and we need to rise above that and see truth and start to jump into God's work, God's way. So let's pray. Father, I hope some of that made sense. <laughs> I pray that your truth was heard and, and, and that your word was heard. Father, awaken in us. Awaken us uh, a desire for your truth. Awaken in us a boldness to stand on your truth, Father. I pray for protection over this body that we are not deceived by the enemy. That we become aware of the world that is opposed to you and how Satan is working and speaking in the midst of it through false teachers, through, through government officials, through school systems, through the narrative of this world. But let us be aware of that, but also be aware that our flesh wants it. Our flesh desires it. Our mind was bent towards it. That we would eat right out of the hands of the enemy. as a cow being fattened and led to slaughter. Father, we were dead. We were dead and we need you. We were dead and we were desperate for you. 
But God, Father, we praise you for the but God. Praise you that you came down and you, by your grace, by your love, you restored us. And so you transformed us and you made us new creation. And you gave us life and you clothed us with the righteousness of Christ. That your Holy Spirit sealed us to the day of redemption. Father, we praise you that you call us saints and sanctified, clothed in your grace. But Father, we pray now that we can be renewed in mind, be transformed to the image of your Son. Father, I pray this urge for the urgency over this church to get in the Word, to get in your truth. And not just read the words on the page, but Holy Spirit, I pray that you use the Word of God, the words that you inspired, and bring to life in us something. Bring to life in us a transformation. Renew us, transform us, change us through your truth. Lord, let us pick up the sword of truth to fight this battle against Satan, the world, and the flesh. Father, we repent. We repent for, for remaining in this world, though our eyes have been opened. We repent for loving this world even though our eyes have been open. And oftentimes when we repent for choosing this world over you, even though our eyes have been open. Let us be a people who become wise in the goodness of you and your kingdom and simple in the world and the kingdom of the prince of the power of this air. Need you, Jesus. Need you, Jesus. Amen.